As we come to this eighth in the series of the Master's Manifesto, probably it is the most difficult one to explain, the most difficult one to comprehend in our culture today. Because there are very few of us, I suspect, who really know or understand, let alone comprehend, what it is to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. At the outset, I want to tell you, there are two different causes for persecution. And most people muddle the two. There's a big difference between being persecuted for righteousness and being persecuted for your own folly. There is a difference between being persecuted for righteousness and the offense of the cross. And being persecuted for being an offensive. There is a difference between being persecuted for the sake of your witness for Christ and being persecuted for placing yourself to be a prosecuting attorney. When Jesus said, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness, there is a word here that is a key word that he added, and that is falsely. That is a key word. Put a circle around it in your Bible. Falsely. That means if I lose my job, Because I have taken my employer's time to debate Christianity with others, then I'm not persecuted for righteousness. If I get rejected because I determine to push my opinion to the bitter end, I'm not persecuted for righteousness. If I get ostracized because I am arrogant or abusive in my attempt to witness so-called, That is not being persecuted for righteousness. I know there's some Christians around who have an ego problem and they want to be noticed and they want to be praised and so they get themselves into trouble and then they said, oh, I'm being persecuted for the faith. Many years ago, a young man came to see me and he said to me, he said, he lost his job simply because he's a Christian. I said, tell me about it. I began to probe and within five minutes, I realized that not only that he was given three notices by his employer, for taking hours and hours of his working time, so-called to witness for Christ, (laughs) and he would not heed any of those notices, but he was offensive rather than persecuted for the faith. And this is a far cry from what Jesus is saying in this manifesto, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen carefully, Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are jerks and offensive. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are suffering because of their foolishness and lack of wisdom. No. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are suffering because out of their anger and bitterness they lash out. No. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are suffering because of their fighting spirit. No. None of that. But as we come to the end of this Master's Manifesto, We found that this particular one, the eighth one, is a double portion of blessing. It is double portion for Christians who totally committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This double portion of blessing is for a life that is motivated, that is propelled for righteous living. This double portion of blessings is for those who seek a deeper walk, those who seek a higher calling. This double portion of blessing is for Christians who have dispensed with low living. 
those who have dispensed with shallow spiritual existence. This double portion of blessings is for Christians who have chosen the narrow way and not the highway. This double portion of blessings are for those who are seeking nothing in life but the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe or possibility. He says they will be persecuted. If you live righteously for Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. When you live righteously, you don't have to be confrontational. Listen to me very carefully. This is important. Why? Because righteousness itself is confrontational. Whether righteousness expressed verbally or just lived, righteousness by its very nature is a contrast to wickedness. We have no indication in the scripture, anywhere in the scripture in the book of Genesis, that Abel was trying to evangelize his brother Cain. (laughs) There is no inkling anywhere that Abel was Bible bashing his brother Cain. He didn't pull him by the lapel and said, believe. But Abel's righteousness was a contrast and a contrasting rebuke to the wickedness of his brother Cain. Abel's life of obedience to God was a sharp reproof for his brother's disobedience. And Cain, in a fit of anger and a fit of rage, he killed his righteous brother. You don't have to go out looking for persecution. Listen to me, please. You don't have to go out looking for it. When you live righteously, persecution is going to find you. But then, there is an easy way, especially I tell young people, there's an easy way to avoid persecution. There is a very simple way to avoid it and stay away from it and live at peace. Or so you think. All you need to do is just live and let live. All you need to do it just mimic the world and the standards of the world. And they will leave you alone. All you need to do is never express discomfort at the world's immorality. And will cost you nothing. All you need to do is keep your mouth shut about Jesus and you will be fine. All you need to do is go along to get along and go along with the notion that all religions are equally right. And you know what? They will love you. All you need to do is laugh at their jokes, laugh when they mock God, laugh when they name His name in vain, and they will leave you alone. All you need to do is get tipsy at their cocktail parties, and you know what? Far from being persecuted, you'll be the fun of the party. The root meaning of the word righteousness, not the word itself, but the root meaning from which the word comes, it means to divide. It means to be different. It means to be distinguished. And the world does not like difference. The world loves conformity. And that's why kids like to wear the same jeans and the same Nikes and the same clothes and the same, act the same way, talk the same way. Why? Because the world forces them into a mold. The world hates being different. The world loves easy going, no absolutes, no truth. And Jesus was persecuted because he was different. 
Jesus was persecuted because he did not fit into their mold. Jesus was persecuted because he did not conform to the image of what they thought a Messiah ought to be like. Jesus was persecuted because he spoke the truth, he lived the truth, and he was willing to die for the truth, and he died for the truth. And listen to what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15, verse 19. He said, if you were of the world, the world loves his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Some years ago, I had a real rude awakening to this whole question of tolerance. The whole word, the word tolerance that is bandied about by the liberals. I discovered back then that to them tolerance means that those who believe in biblical Christianity must be tolerant of sin and must be tolerant of heresy. Those who are biblically orthodox must be good boys and good girls and and they keep their mouths shut in the midst of a wholesale departure from the truth of the scripture. To their understanding tolerance means That since the Bible is an archaic book anyway, we all must accept the newfangled ideas, which is not new at all. It's as old as the devil himself. That was a rude awakening for me. Because the word tolerance is a great word. (laughs) It's a wonderful word in its original use, not in the way they twisted it. Therefore, to speak of biblical truth to them, to stand up and say, thus says the Lord... In all gentleness and in all love, it doesn't matter how you do it, because to them is intolerance and it must be silenced. You can announce to the world today that you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist or Episcopalian or Catholic or Calathumpian or whatever it may be, and the world will not react. Will not react. But you let Jesus come into the conversation, and their face changes color. Their juggler veins begin to pop up. And their demeanor turns 180 degrees. And their eyes narrow and send out sparkling signals of real anger and hatred. That's why when somebody comes and asks me to pray, I said, Now, do you understand that I will always conclude my prayer? I'm talking about secular groups. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thank you very much. We're glad we called you. We're going to call the next guy. I said, God bless you. Don't invite me if I'm not going to name the name of Jesus. And because this world's reaction to the name of Jesus, you know what happened in the past several years? The church began to lower its biblical morality and biblical standards in order that accommodate the world. And as the church lowers its biblical standards to accommodate the world, they will not be persecuted. They will be called nice. But I want to tell you something else. They will not hear from the lips of Jesus. Blessed are you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven here has double meaning. The known meaning is being in heaven with the Lord reign forever. I'm going to come to that. But there is a secondary meaning to this. The kingdom of heaven. It means... That the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are able to reign. They are able to rule in the midst of their persecution and in the midst of their suffering and in the midst of being hated. And in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering for righteousness, they walk around as if they own the world. 
You know why? <laughs> Their daddy does. Amen. Now, the world doesn't know it, but our daddy owns the world. Every one of Jesus' disciples, possibly with the exception of John, understood those words a few years later because every one of them was reigning and was ruling in the midst of dying, in the midst of being persecuted for righteousness' sake. It was James, the brother of John, who was beheaded at the year 36 AD. Thomas was killed in India, and he was ruling and reigning to the last minute over himself and his life. Simon, the brother of Jude, was crucified in Egypt in the reign of Emperor Trajan. Simon, the zealot, was crucified in Mauritania. Mark, the first bishop of Alexandria, was burnt in Egypt and was buried there. Bartholomew was beaten and beheaded in Armenia. Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified in A.D. 80 by Governor Aegean and was buried in Achaia. Philip was stoned in Phrygia. James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, because of his influence, he was given an opportunity to stand on the top of the temple. And they said, you stand up there and proclaim that you have followed a false teaching of your brother Jesus. And then when he stood up, he began to proclaim the gospel that his brother has lived and died and rose for. And then out of anger, they came out and they pushed him out from the temple. And when they came down, they found him not dead. They began to beat his head until he died. To say nothing of Peter who considered himself to be unworthy to be crucified like his master. He said, now crucify me upside down. What suffering have you experienced for righteousness lately? I can ask myself the same question. Even today, while we in the West live in the lap of luxury and live in comfort, our biggest suffering is the service is a few minutes longer. Our biggest suffering is we don't have the right car, the right this or the right that. Thousands of Christians around the world are being imprisoned. They are beaten up with bicycle chains. They've been deprived of food and and sleep. They are killed simply because they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, millions of Christians are being harassed daily for the name of Jesus. That is persecution for righteousness. Blessed are those, said Jesus, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then a second blessing, he said, Blessed are you when they insult you, harass you for my name's sake. This is a double portion of blessing. It's the only time that says blessed twice of all of the master's manifesto that we've been looking at. Blessed are those who are truly the citizens of heaven. Those who are motivated in this life by the life that is to come. Blessed indeed. Blessed are you when men revile you and speak evil against you falsely for my sake. Now the word revile means seriously insulting or throw abusive words at somebody. It means to vigorously mock somebody publicly. Now I know that sometimes because of our love for Christ and our commitment to the truth of His word, it causes people to call us names. It causes some people to despise us. It may cause some people to call us bigots falsely. They may call us extremists falsely. They will call us backward falsely. It was the Romans in the early Christian church. They began to accuse the Christians falsely. They called them cannibalists because they said they were eating and drinking the communion cup and bread. 
They said the love feast is a feast of immorality. Can you imagine the Romans calling the Christians immoral? But that's how they would falsely accuse you. Sometimes because of our faithfulness to Christ, people will falsely accuse us of not being compassionate, using their own definition of compassion, which is shallow at best. Sometimes because of our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, some people might smile at our faces and then criticize us behind our backs, attack us behind our backs, insult us behind our backs. Listen to what Jesus' critics said of him in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. They said he was glutton. They said he was a drunkard. They said he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And if they said that about the Lord of life, who are we to expect any less? Slander behind one's back is harder to take because it's harder to defend. Slander behind one's back has an opportunity of spreading, has an opportunity of, of being believed before one can have a chance to correct it. But I want to tell you this, listen carefully. While slander is regrettable, it is not something that you, know, you enjoy or publicly welcome. But far from being worried about it, far from spending time fretting over it, far from letting it affect you and consume your energy, I want you to know that Jesus said, blessed are you. <laughs> not only that, but he said, when you experience forced slander, you should be rejoicing. Jesus is saying that when you're being slandered, count on me. When you're being falsely accused, look up to me. He said, when you are being maligned falsely, don't retaliate. Leave it with me. When you are being falsely accused, don't let it consume your energy. Spend time praying for your persecutors because that is how we are going to have victory. The Apostle Peter who was there at the Mount of Beatitudes and heard those words of Jesus, expounds on them in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. There he repeats the Master's teaching. And he tells his readers, he said, Far from defending ourselves, we should consider ourselves to be privileged. That's really what Peter is saying. That is the summary of chapter 3. When we suffer because we are different, When we suffer because we are distinguished from the world, be glad. Peter is telling us that when we are hated, when we are maligned, when we are afflicted, remember that the real animosity is not against us, but it's against the Lord whom we represent. Satan's great enemy is Christ. And he opposes Christ everywhere, especially in the life of his faithful followers. When we are attacked, For the sake of Christ, we are a target because of the righteousness that we represent and exemplify. So, my precious friends, far from fretting, far from being angered, Matthew 5, 12, Jesus tells us that we should be happy and we should rejoice and be glad. Let me read to you what John Stott said about this particular verse. He said, we don't retaliate like an unbeliever. We don't sulk like a child. We don't lick our wounds in self-pity like a dog. We don't just grin and bear it like a stoic. And we don't pretend that we enjoy it like a masochist. But we are truly to leap for joy. Why? Because our inheritance in heaven is great. Greater than you can imagine. Now some people think that being different is being somber. That you look sad all the time. 
that you're honestly looking at some of you, if you're afraid to smile, that your face is going to crack. Maybe you have some special cream or something. And that's not what's supposed to be for believers. <laughs> this is not the testimony the world wants to see. Sad and sour faces look as if you've been baptized in vinegar. <laughs> that is not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, I heard the story recently about a deacon who went to the airport to pick up a preacher. A guest preacher was coming in. And he didn't know what he looked like, so he waited and people were coming out of the gate. And, and finally, he said, well, I don't know what this guy looked like. And the first sour-looking man walking out, he said, that must be him. <laughs> Somehow preachers, you're supposed to have sour faces. And he walked up to him and he said, sir, are you a preacher? And the man said, no, 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 no. He said, said the reason I look this way, I've been sick for a few weeks. <laughs> I want to tell you something else that Jesus said here that you must remember. Those of you English scholars, grammar scholars, listen. Jesus is not making a recommendation here. He said, oh, by the way, it would be nice to rejoice when you get into trouble, when you get persecuted. No, it is in the imperative mood. It is a command. In fact, Jesus is commanding us to rejoice when people persecute us for righteousness. When they insult us and when they call us name, we are commanded to rejoice. Some people might falsely take you to court and you'll lose some things. Some may have taken you to court and cheated the system and took whatever precious possession you have. There's one thing that nobody in the world and the world can never take away from you and that's your joy. And Jesus gives two reasons to be glad when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. First of all, he said, because your reward in heaven. Because that's where your reward in heaven. Our present life is no more than a viper, James said. It appears for a little while and then it disappears all of a sudden. You see it in your cooking, ladies in the kitchen. You see the steam coming up and all of a sudden when you turn off, it's gone. He said, that's life. It is fleeting. It is temporal. And if we only can understand this, as I told you in the very beginning, it is the thing that will help you overcome whatever is facing you. I haven't taken my wife's permission to tell you this, but I'll tell you, whenever we get into a discussion, and that is, you know, you might call it something else, but it's a, I call it a vigorous discussion, at least. I would say to her, I said, just remember in heaven that one matter. She doesn't like to hear that. <laughs> said, help me now. (laughs) But I'm preaching the truth. I'm telling you the truth. When you begin to comprehend heaven and the fact that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, all the problems you're facing will not mean anything. Think about it hundred years from now. You'll be in heaven and all the problems still down here. When you focus on heaven... Jesus said that is why he said you must store your treasures, you must store your silver and your gold, your stocks and your bonds, your real estates, all of your possessions. Send them on to heaven because that's where you're going to be spending eternity. I have never known anybody who have taken all their possession and took them with them on a week's vacation. I've never seen anyone who went to a train station to catch a train and took all their possessions and sat there on a train station with all their possessions. But that's where we are. We are on a train station. We are on vacation. We're going to go home. This is not our home. And the more you convince your mind, you focus on that, and the more you think of heaven, the more you realize that all your fretting is for nothing. Jesus said the dividends of heaven are not ordinary dividends, investors. (laughs) They are not ordinary dividends. And they're not only eternal. You know what he said? He said they are great. (laughs) They are great. 
I hear some pious in the back probably saying, well, you know, I don't serve God for a reward. (laughs) Of course you do. The Bible said you do, therefore you do, (laughs) whether you like it or not. (laughs) Listen to what Hebrews 12, 2 said about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And I got news for you, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's going to be enough for me. I'm looking for my reward in heaven. It is neither selfish nor unspiritual to look forward to the reward in heaven. The Apostle Paul looked forward to the crown in heaven. Why? Toward the end of his life, he knew in his heart that he fought the good fight. And he stood for the truth and paid a heavy price for it. And he knew that when he gets on the other side, he's going to hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Then there's a second reason for rejoicing. When we suffer for righteousness... Jesus said, you're in good company. (laughs) When you suffer, little as it is for Jesus' sake, you are in a great company of men and women of old. The little that you suffer for Jesus' sake should remind us that we are linked together with men and women for hundreds of years who have stood where we stood, who have suffered what we suffered, who are now rejoicing in heaven. Think of how many of them were put in boiling oil for the sake of Christ. Think how many of them were painted with tar and lit like human torch. Think of how many of them that were covered by sheepskin and thrown into a wild animals. Rejoice because you are in good company. They suffered for the sake of Christ. You know what? These early Christians could have escaped persecution easily. Very simply. A little compromise here and a little compromise here. It wasn't a big deal. All you need to say, Caesar is Lord. That's all. And so many Christians are saying Caesar is Lord all week long. But you know the difference? Earthly comfort was not their primary motive for living. But Jesus was. Jesus was. In many ways... These Beatitudes paint a comprehensive portrait of a true Christian. It does not paint a picture of a Presbyterian or Episcopalian or or a Methodist or a Catholic. It does not do that at all. It paints a portrait of a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of those is a step upon a step upon a step. They were not just casually thrown eight of them like that, no. First step is that I declare spiritual bankruptcy. I come to God and say, I can't save myself. I can't help myself. All my work is but dirty rag. Only your righteousness can save me. Blessed are those. And then Jesus said, the next step is to mourn over our sin. We grieve over our sin. Then the third step is we become meek by taking power and control over our lives. And fourthly, he said, far from being smug and satisfied with oneself, it is a daily hunger, it's a daily thirst for righteousness. And then the next step comes, is that we don't run away from this world, we don't escape from this world, but rather be right in the midst of it, showing mercy upon those who have been battered by sin. And the sixth step is that we live the transparent life, we live the life that is integrated What we say we believe and the way we live are integrated. And then the seventh he said, seek to make peace through God's truth. And finally today, he's saying that there are some 
who are going to perform this and not only perform a thankless job, but they will be harassed, they'll be persecuted, they'll be oppressed, they'll be slandered, and they'll be insulted on the account of the righteousness which they seek to exhibit. And the Lord sets before us in this manifesto a choice, a blessing and a curse. I pray that every one of us would choose the blessing because blessing come only from following the Master's manifesto. Whether you have heard the entire series or you just heard today's message, if the Holy Spirit of God has been speaking to you to make this to be the manifesto of your life, I beg you not to quench the Holy Spirit. Don't postpone it. Don't say, well, one day I will do this. This is a blessing that God is offering you. Don't choose the curse. Take the blessing. Heavenly Father, we know and we confess to you publicly that we cannot, of our own strength, do any of this. We, by nature, being harassed and attacked by the enemy and all his cronies in this world, But we thank you that he who is with us is greater than he is against us. We thank you that we have the Holy Spirit of God given to us in order to fight and win. We thank you that you have given us victory right now. We thank you that we can have the victory in Jesus' name if we seek it. And Father, I pray that in his power and his grace and his mercy, that you will strengthen us to live by and through your Son's manifesto. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.